We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a podcast you've been waiting for because Arsenal, it says here, won a football game. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I gotta be honest, the football's been shit for so long, I didn't really have a cold open thing to do because I, I don't know what's a fun, sarcastic thing. But honestly, like, it, it really seems like the secret to victory is, you know, easy as one, two, three, right? Martinelli, Pepe, Aubameyang. One, two, three, right up front. Three forwards, three goals. We'll be talking a lot about that this episode. Um, and we're just going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the win. So uh, while there may be issues with the first half that we'll touch on, and there may be issues with some individual performances that warrant maybe a little criticism, we're not going to put that up front. We're going to put the goals and the fun and the celebration up front because I think we all need it and we all deserve it. But what we're really going to put up front is the promotion. Let's be honest. This is the Arsenal Vision Capitalist podcast after all. So... A couple of things. Uh, first of all, we did an in the spotlight on Martinelli, so I look forward to him never scoring another goal for Arsenal. But over on Patreon, if you want in the spotlight, Gabriel Martinelli, Clive's on it, Paul's on it, Scott's on it, I'm on it, and it is on now. Uh, also, if you want Clive to sing a Christmas carol, and I definitely want Clive to sing, or it can be a Christmas song. I want him to sing "All I Want for Christmas Is You," but I don't feel like that suits his baritone. Um, so we will debate that offline. Uh, you could theoretically make Paul or Tim or myself sing a Christmas song. But let's face it, you want it to be Clive. So sign up for The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Clive PAFC. If you'd like it to be someone else, it could be forward slash Yankee Gunner, forward slash uh, Stilberto, or forward slash Paul AFC because they would not do posin in my pants. The uh, the Enclosed is back sponsoring this fine podcast. They uh, have sexy drawers. That's right. Lingerie that comes right to your house. Your partner can wear it. And your relationship can be good. It's really that simple. And you'll hear about that later in the pod. But enough about that. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, pause. 
Woohoo. Woohoo indeed. Clive's on Twitter at Clive AFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And by the way, congratulations to Mark Aurelius, uh, the patron who won our Project 36 competition. He will be getting the new retro shirt. That's what he chose, and that's what he's getting. Uh, Gary Smith, who put the whole thing together, is going to be getting a little Christmas present himself, and thanks to him. And we're doing another Project 36. Can you pick fewer points than the last one? We'll find out. In any event, I want to do this, guys. I want to start with the goals, because it was fun to score goals. It was fun to win a football game. It was fun to see each one of our forwards score. And so I just want to break them down one at a time and talk about the involvement of the players. So, Clive, let's just start with the first goal. Trailing 1-0, needing a lift. Lucas Torreira starts it. Walk me through the goal and your perception of how it played out and and what it says about uh, the attacking move. Well, first things first, at the time we were playing terribly and we were wondering where where the bottom was for this football club when um, we were really not sh- showing any bravery to pass through the line. So, And then we then we finally did and it arrives at um, Torreira's feet and to be fair, there was a few players that showed bravery from the, from the first minute and he was one of them that wasn't afraid to lose it. And it was nice watching... Um, Obviously, people started to trust each other and started to receive the ball on the move a lot more in the second half. And Trevor progresses up the left side of the pitch and Kolasnik drives on into the space and Martinelli pulls out of the space. And when the players can sometimes smell something, there was a, there was a gap there and West Ham players were not as touch tight as they were early in the game. And um, on to Kolasnik. And um, what I really liked, I said this earlier in the other pod, was how Martinelli didn't run into the space and didn't close the space. He left the space there, giving himself room to run onto the ball. And it's classic, you know, classic forward play where Aubameyang was ahead. There's another line of attack there. Don't run onto the same line and kill his line. Make it two lines for the for the crosser to find. One of the things that Jurgen Klopp does, he has a crossing model, triangle model, where you have one at the front post, one at the middle, one at the back post. You try to create three lines or three positions where the cross can go to, and it's just a good way of getting efficiency in the box. And Martelli was very cute, left the space, accelerated onto its side foot, opened out his body, goal. But and we, but for me, it was just I thought it's just a, a major, major moment. I'm sure we all felt how we were starting to lose a bit of hope with this team. We're thinking we could not take another defeat, and that moment sort of lifted it and lifted all of us. And not only that, the way he just picked the ball out of the net and came running out, that tells you about his mentality. And I think the team sparked from that moment there on. And I thought it was, it, you know, it was all very, it was all very excited, weren't we? All very excited. It, it was, it was a punch the air moment because I, I have to admit, like I had started to lean lean into the doom a little, like because what can you do? You're losing away to West Ham. We haven't won since 2013. I checked the stats. I actually asked Scott because he's our data guy, and he said 2013 was the last time we won a football game. And Paul, I mean, you know. I actually had this feeling like if we win a football game, is it going to be a downer? And and I mean that not even tongue-in-cheek because then you look up at the table and you're like, oh my God, we really we really let this season slide away, didn't we? Like that's when I think the reality is going to hit. But it didn't feel that way. It was, it was a punch-the-air moment to get level and it, it got better from there. But let's stick with this goal for a second. I thought as much as Shaq has struggled and maybe we'll come on to that later, I want to stay positive for now. Um, I know, I know, off-brand. Um I thought Torreira was our more productive or, or certainly progressive midfielder. And I good thought it was good, a good game for him. And he picked the ball up deep and he carried it through the midfield. And I think what was really missing in the first half, demonstrably, was Shaka would get the ball 
and they would drop off and he did not want to carry it into the space in front of him. And so he would either go back or lateral, but there was really no progression because Ozil wasn't dropping in as much, which he did more in the second half, and we can come on to Ozil in a bit, and Shaka wasn't willing to carry forward. Torreira took that responsibility to make the goal. So would you say that Torreira's contribution in the opening goal, or our opening goal, is sort of a microcosm of what he added to the game uh, in the absence of another player doing that? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you can look at all three goals and argue yourself into, and I did, the fact that it was Torreira's pass that kicked all three goals off. Now, maybe the uh, the, fir- the uh, first one or the second one might be a little bit of a stretch that he got the first pass, but he, in all three of them, he was the pre- progressive pass from the central midfielder for all three goals. Um, and... It, it, when when I look back on the match, I got the impression that this was a game he was enjoying, even when it wasn't going particularly well for us. Um, the, in the early days when Torreira came, the, uh, we did our usual, as as we did on the Patreon podcast, of looking for player comparisons, mm-hmm. which are always woefully inappropriate and inadequate. But the one that always came to mind with me and Torreira was just the part of his game that's like Cazorla. Um and he seemed to have that when he first came to us. As I mean, there are a whole bunch of things he can't do that Cazorla could. And uh, Cazorla is arguably, maybe not arguably, world class and maybe even still is if he lacks a little athleticism. Um, but Cazorla had that for a while. You could make a case that he did things beyond just his defensive game that put you in mind of of uh, Torreira put put you in mind of Cazorla with his his quick feet, his quick pass, his heads up, his decisiveness, and he he totally lost that somewhere along the way. And certainly this year under Emery, he did not look. You know, you'd believe the headlines with him that he was looking elsewhere, that he was thinking of going elsewhere. And I always felt that the only difference between whether Torreira stays next season or not is whether his fo- he started to enjoy his football, and that was probably down to who the manager was. This looked like a game where he was enjoying his football and he was knocking it around. It was quick. It was decisive. Um, he wasn't making the mistakes he'd been making in more recent times. And he was uh, the creative engine in, in in midfield for a large part. I didn't think Chak had a total shocker by any means and he, he showed some of his passing range and skills. But... Uh, he also showed uh, his capability to personify lead-in boots from time to time. Mm. Um, uh, I, I just thought Torreira... I mean, Torreira did a bit of everything in this game, including getting into the box, and he, he maybe could have had a goal as well, uh, which was un- unfortunately banged it off a, uh, one of their defenders. Would have been a nice finish for him, a nice cap on a performance, which he deserved, but... Yeah, was that the late, was, late opportunity? Or no, yeah. it was it was sort of late. Um, was it Aubameyang who fed it back to him, or was that Pepe? I can't remember. It was in the box. I think right? it was Pepe. It Pepe. Was, yeah. It was from the right. Yeah, I remember. Okay, I remember, it, and it was blocked. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He strikes it um, really sweetly. He does. Yeah. I mean, sometimes there's just a player in the way, and sometimes there isn't. But this that one looked gold bound. Um, yeah, same with Aubameyang's nice late chance at the death. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost didn't like that he was getting so far forward because it was almost like he's doing too many roles. Um, but Ganduzi comes on and he still basically is the anchor in the team, which I like. And 
uh, yeah, the, the, the midfield part of it is going to be very interesting given um, Freddie's choices so far in his first three games. Yeah. Uh, wh- where the, the chips fall will be interesting, but uh, maybe Torreira has done enough to prove that he's the first guy on the, the team sheet for midfield. Yeah, and at least I, for a little while. And what we'll come to later is that I think Shaq has done enough to prove that he's he should not be. But we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. The, yeah. The the thing that I love is just that, um, you know, Martinelli shows his intelligence off the ball in this moment, and you referenced it, Clive, in the way that he drifts out of the wide space, finds the pocket of space between the midfield and the defenders, and as Aubameyang's run takes the defenders deeper, he slides into the space behind. And Kolasinac, to his credit. You know, I, I, the ball from Torreira to Kolasinac is not an easy through ball, and it's well played, but Kolasinac doesn't just put his head down and smash it. He plays it into a really intelligent space, and the first time finish is brilliant. And again, if you want more on Martinelli, we did a hole in the spotlight on him today, so that's on Patreon. You can get it, but, um, you and know... Can I add a little bit on the Kolasinac cutback? Sure. Because um, we've been very frustrated with him for a long time, but be, before we got frustrated with him, he was one of the keys to our success. But I think part of what's... He's not the most heads-up passer. I mean, he kind of has... He can put it in one of a, a couple of places when he's doing his cutbacks. But one of the things we've lacked for a long time is enough runners to spread their defense. Now, West Ham helped a little bit because the gap started to emerge. No, you're right. The, the second-man runner gives him another angle to attack instead of just the one striker in the box. Yeah, and we've been so predictable. We've been so poor at getting players forward that... Um, you know, we might he might start enjoying his game too. It's not can't be that much fun charging down the wing, doing a cutback, and getting it blocked by two or three defenders every time. So, yeah, uh, maybe there's a breath of fresh air coming for him. The second goal, I, I think, is the biggest moment in the game, Clyde, because it gives us a lead and because it comes from Pepe, who desperately needed it. And there's so many good things in the goal. I think Ozil does really good work dropping deep, picking it up, and carrying it between defenders, and playing a pass that doesn't get nearly the credit into Aubameyang, or am I thinking of the third goal, actually? The one that he slots between defenders. That that might be the third goal. Oh, that's a, it's, it's the it's second goal. It is, okay. Goal. And then Aubameyang lays it it's off. It's both goals. It, yeah, to be fair, it's both goals. And then yeah. Aubameyang lays it off yeah. to Pepe in the wing. Now, I'll let you talk through this, but I there are really three really interesting points to talk about here. Ozil and what he did in the second half, and for those two goals that he wasn't doing in the first. Aubameyang doing the thing we keep saying Lacazette is good at and Aubameyang isn't good at, which is playing the whole, the sort of focal point nine and sliding it out to the wide forward. I mean, that's the thing we keep saying. Well, that's the Firmino role. That's what Lacazette does. Ironically, Aubameyang does it brilliantly both for Pepe's goal and his goal, and then Pepe's finish. So talk us through that goal and, and who impressed you, I mean, other than the finish, the most and in, in each individual contribution there. Okay, Ozil played a good part in that in that goal, but... Let's let's be honest. <laughs> I do want to go into this now. Let's be honest. Uh, I, I thought it was very very disappointing until we started to perk up. He was shocking the in the first goal. half, no question. And it, and it, it's a big issue for me. Um, teams are now letting us have the ball, knowing our build up is poor, knowing our retention is poor in higher areas, and they're they're playing a transition game on us. And West Ham tried to do that in the early stages. And if you remember the very first attack where they broke on. He went to us and he was just flung aside like a little flower. And I was thinking, crikey, this can't continue. We have to be better. But as for maybe later in the pod, I'll get on to that earlier. But he drove out of his hole really well and he drove with a bit more intent. And with Ozil, similar to Ramsey, how they move tells you where they are. 
You know, I think they're they're smooth movers when they're fit, when they're motivated, when everything's going well. And he looked completely different, different movement-wise to how he looked in the first half. And the Bamiyang did the old roll off the front. So you sort of show a little spin, but you don't. You roll off. And he separated really easy. And that tells me that Obama was starting to really start to get tired. And he couldn't stay in contact. Whereas in the first half, there's a lot more closer contact to him. So he rolls off and then, and then lays it out to Pepe and... You know, Pepe then just decides, you know, he's already got them worried. I mean, he's got, he has got a full box of tricks. People say he is one footed, but he, he uses the right foot to shift the ball to. Mm-hmm. He can go to the right when he develops crossing and shooting off his right, which he can do, but he just needs to have confidence to do it. But he just, he just, I think his Mat- Matawatu, I think his name is, he came on for um, that that wicked player Cresswell who tried to kick Pepe off the pitch. Should have been, should have been sent off. And by the way, second game in yeah. a row where Pepe has been targeted for really rough challenges. Um, and I thought he got worse in the previous game after he took that first rough challenge. I thought he was hurt. Yeah, fortunately enough, he's a bendy leg player that seems to be able to get his feet off the floor. But I think it's one for us to watch. I think he's one of those players that, one of those flashy dribblers that some referees think, well, you deserved that for doing 15 stepovers. Do you know what I mean? They don't give him a break. Sahar gets the same type of treatment. Just because you got good skill, it's almost like you got you got to accept that because you're too quick for the for the slow defender. Well, how about you protect the, the attacker? That's what the game's about, right? So, so hopefully we don't lose him for a collision injury. That would that would be a real concern because referees do not protect players like that. And he just. Shake the bank inside, froze his man to the floor. And we could all see from the way he approached that ball. He has got a good strike on him. He's a sort of player that seems to just whip the ball. He's got good contact, good technique, different shapes on his left foot. But it's a lot about timing how he strikes the ball. And if he, if he times it right, it just flies. And the moment he struck it, it's just like, that's a goal. You can almost, from the moment he approached it, it's a goal. Much like his free kick goal. The way, if he gets his approach right, everything's right, you're just shouting goal. Because you know the technique's there. It's getting that consistency of body power, body shape, holding his core and really striking through the ball with his, with his stride pattern, absolutely bang on. And when it's right, it looks so natural and it was just a beautiful mm. finish. I mean, he's tried that shot and he's been close. He he went just over the upper, right, the upper left corner once. I think he hit, did he hit the bar or glance the bar once? Like he's... He's got that shot in his locker. He's just missed it by a little bit before, and it was perfect this time. I I, got to tell you with Pepe, I just don't understand why people think he's struggling. He's not struggling. This is who he is. He's Alexis. He's he's Alexis Sanchez. Alexis is a guy who needs a lot of touches. He's going to give the ball away. He's going to try to beat players constantly. But when he does, when he gets by that player, he can score from any angle. He can assist from any angle. And he is a handful for defenders. But you're going to have to deal with giveaways and failed dribble attempts and maybe trying to do too much and not releasing the ball soon enough. I'm not saying he's as good as Alexis yet. But I'm saying that's the player, a player who's a high-touch, high-involvement, high-dribble, high-shot player. Zaha, Wilfred Zaha has two goals and one assist this season. He's averaging a shot less per 90 than Pepe. Now, I realize Pepe's a small sample size, but, like, he's not struggling. That's just who he is. He's a flashy player who's on the ball a lot and does a lot with it on the ball, and you notice when it doesn't come off. And I think a lot of the same frustrations that some fans had with Alexis, he's selfish, he gives it away, he gave the ball away. That was always the stat. Alexis Sanchez gave the ball away more in the first half than any player, every player combined. 
I think you're going to get a lot of that from Pepe too. But once he starts scoring, I think he's not going to stop. And so we've got to lean into this guy. And Paul, I think it is interesting in the second goal. You know, the thing with Aubameyang is it was supposed to be the reason Lacazette is playing through the middle is he's more of the hold-up guy, more of the Firmino type, more of the, you know, the back-to-goal kind of guy. And I do, I mean, look, I'm not an idiot. I, I think he probably is that but I think we maybe overstated that. I don't think his passing and, and distribution around the box is as good as maybe we would like it to be. And I think it's interesting that for the second and third goal, but especially this third goal, Aubameyang finds that pocket, drops in, gives it to Pepe you know, in the right spot, and Pepe does the rest from there. I mean, what, what's your take on Aubameyang maybe being able to do a little more of that than we give him credit for uh, vis-a-vis Lacazette's role? Yeah, look... If you give Aubameyang just an extra yard uh, over over what he would normally get at the center forward spot, I I think his skills come to the fore. But I do think Lacazette is still that little. He, he you know he's he's a level up when it comes to that kind of role when he's he's really getting targeted by the center backs. He's more physical. Aubameyang doesn't like that physical tussle. I mean, it's just not his game. He'll I don't mean it in a negative sense, but he'll move. He'll tend to make the run if he's getting beaten up. If he's getting kicked around, he'll tend to start making the runs out to a little more space because that's how he gets more joy. So I do think they do different things. But in a sense, playing Lacazette, a less less mobile player compared to Aubameyang, um, kind of draws the situation where Lacazette needs to do that banging up against the center backs. The, the the beauty of our front four in this was the mobility, and you see it in all three goals, and you see, you know, on the goal we're talking about here, um, or on the first goal, for example, you see Martinelli peeling off to the right, or the Pepe goal, sorry. You mm-hmm. see Martinelli pe- peeling off to the left. You see Pepe stretching it to the right, Aubameyang in the middle, Ozil having the space to play it through. Uh, and it kind of brings out the best of all four of those attacking players. And with Lacazette, uh, it tends to draw to this more stodgy issue where you got uh, the, the centers more crowded. Um, and so, yeah, he's solving a problem, but he's solving a problem that that style creates. Now, to be fair to Lacazette, he hasn't had a chance to play in this new look, uh, optimistic uh, energy in our legs arsenal that we discovered late in the West Ham game. So uh, he's also been under the the uh, late Emery cloud. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I think it's very interesting with Pepe, though. Um, he's he's kind of got a... I, I'd, I'd agree and disagree a little bit on the crisis thing. I don't think there's been a crisis with Pepe. I think it's been greatly overplayed. Oh, for, for the record, but, I, I'm not... That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's some people that yeah. feel frustrated with him and say he's struggling, and I I don't see that personally. I guess I think he has, it's all relative. I think he has been struggling and he's admitted as much, but that's not to say that he, to your point, that he isn't producing. It's just clear he's not at the level he could and should be. Um, I think this puts some wind in his sails. So I agree with you. He's been producing um, and he's a factor. It's more... You know, if anybody struggled from the way we play, it's him because we've had so little activity in in our in the attacking third, so few balls into anybody to do anything with. If you if you don't make your first one or two pay, 
uh, that might be all you see for a half. So, um, th- you know, this was a much more free-flowing, dynamic performance once we got going here, and he thrived. And as Clive referenced, it was this was basically like him hitting a rolling free kick. He's already hit two of those in the in the same area of the the uh, net. Um, and, and you know, as I watch it over and over on a loop here, he's so relaxed when he gets into the box here. Um, he almost hits it like it's a practice game. So mm. he was beginning to feel it here. And I, I think, look, at, if you look at the influence map, first half versus second half, I mean, everybody's so deep in the first half, and they're, they're still a little too deep probably in the second half. But, yeah. I mean, it's it's Shaq and Trera very deep, and Ozil really not doing much. Ozil so much more influential in the second half. The whole team was. I mean, we, we had so much possession. But... You know, we also balance the left and right side a little better versus being so right side biased in the in the first half. Look, Clive, the the third goal, you know, which sort of seals the win. I I think it is so it is to me so representative of the problem with Mesut Ozil because this is why we debate him. This is why the the quote unquote fanboys are quote unquote blinkered and the haters quote unquote have an agenda. Because the Mesodos who played in the first half shouldn't be in the Arsenal squad. And the Mesodos who played in the second half is what you'd like late career Mesodos to be. That pass to Aubameyang, you know, he, he picks it up, sort of, uh, Torreira does a nice job, spins away from pressure, carries it forward, slots it between two midfielders and finds Ozil in that pocket of space between the lines where when he's on his game, he's finding that space. He turns, he carries it, and takes out four defenders with a ball into Aubameyang in the box. Now, it didn't quite have the weight to put him in behind, but it gives him all the room to lay it off to Pepe make the run in. Pepe with the perfectly chipped ball over the top, and Aubameyang finishes on the volley. What do you do with a player like Mesodoso, who, who I think that pass he plays to Aubameyang is there, there are really very few players that find that space and then play that ball and have the vision for it, but that can't be all he does. So talk me through that goal and sort of your, your feeling about <laughs> how you balance the, the, the poles of this player. Well, we, we can't balance him, can we? Let's be honest. We can't. He's been here since 2014, 2013, and, and we're still talking about it. So we can't we can't unsee the smooth running and the passing at just the right amount of pace and information on it that a striker knows exactly what to do. We, we can't unsee that. So and a lot of times those moments are the best moments we remember. But we also can't unsee the the weak ball retention, the lack of intensity, the hiding. I mean, it's just all within this game. If you ever do a rewatch, Elliot, I'm not going to commit you. I know you got lots on. But, um, <laughs> I have quite a bit going on at the moment. <laughs> but mate, if we were to rewatch of the first half, we'd have to we'd have to do it. we'd have to do it from behind the settee. Honestly, it mm. was it was desperate. And um, but then when it all when it all moves, when it all looks good, he picks his moment to just be exactly what we hoped he would be. You know, and he drove into that space and it's just his intent. I said it before, his intent and similar to the second goal. Lovely way to pass. Abamian rolls off and then spins in behind. And I'm liking this. I think Abamian's build up play has improved massively since he's been out. So I used to really argue with you, Elliot, about his ability to play centre forward based on the fact that Every time he touched the ball, it broke down on him. 
And that's that's not the case. And if he does break down, his reaction to get back is is really really good. So he's showing a lot of leadership in that position for me. He's been he's moving himself to a spinal role, and he's really really showing for the ball. And when he's not having a good day, he works hard to get it back. And I think he he wasn't the player that we were sold anyway. Still, do you see what I mean? Yeah. We thought we were going to get his bad attitude guy. We thought it'd be a disco dance out out all night, and basically he's shown a lot of leadership. Uh, hopefully, you know, a lot of love for the club, and um, let's hope he sticks around. So he basically spins it out to Pepe. By now, Pepe's got everyone frozen ten yards away from him, so they think they're closing down, but they're not. Cause they don't want to be embarrassed because he's got him. He's got his head up, looking at them, staring him in their eyes, and the ball at his feet, and he dinks the ball in. It's a lovely pass, and. I do think Pepe has got a lot of, I've said this before, but I really mean this. He has a lot of skill sets that the young Mesut Ozil used to have. You know, he's really a driving what, what, what wide specifically like, forward. I, yeah, okay. I'm just curious because you've said it and it's so interesting to me and I'd be curious to get some of the specifics, uh, the characteristics that, where you see the, the similarities. Well, if you, if you honestly, I, I posted a video today of um, Ozil at Verde Bremen and you can just see the similarities Lots of transition, waiting for people to jump to slide him, and he just accelerates away from them, hopping around people, shooting. Meza Erzl used to shoot a lot and score a lot of goals. I think for two Germany World Cup campaigns, he was top scorer, banging shots. We all know when Erzl gets into the box now. We know he's. We all know he's not shooting, didn't we? There was a moment when Erzl had a chance in a Pepe type position in this game. And he was not shooting, and we all knew it. He was looking for a pass to the back stick. I think he dinked it over to Martinelli. That confidence to just shape, shift, and shoot. Are you telling me he's not got the technique to do it? He's completely transformed himself as a player. He's far more different. He's been much more aggressive. He's got all the stepovers. He was a young number 11. Maybe not quite as um, as speedy as uh, Pepe is. Maybe not so fixated as wing play, but... I do think Pepe's role will eventually be a more of a creative wide man. Well, that, that man. pass he plays to Aubameyang for the volley, that's the Mesut Ozil pass, right? Top right of yeah. the box, floated over the defenders perfectly onto the foot of the striker. I mean, that's that's the Ozil 1A position. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we were talking earlier, weren't we, about where modern football's going with wide forwards and pivot center forwards and free number eights. So it's important that your one of your wide forwards is very good creatively as well as a scorer as well as somebody that can go short, go long. He has got the game. We just need to give him time to show the game. And within this game, he showed everything. And so when you have a player doing that, being part of the build-up, running beyond, being part of the defensive unit, but also breaking and transition, also slowing the game down and moving the ball and progressing the ball in between the lines, then you say to yourself, do we need a number 10? You see what I mean? It moved us away from number 10 football. And this is why I said very, very early on, look at the attributes of this player. Look at the attributes of Mesut Ozil. Eventually, a manager's going to have to make a choice because we could have a more of an all-court midfielder like Guendouzi in there, which solidifies our middle, gives us much more build-up and personality in the middle of the pitch, but we still get the creativity in the top end of the pitch. I think that's really important because there's no point in having three great forwards if no one can pass to each other. You see what I mean? Of course. So I, I do think this is a this is a major change 
and it allows us to be a far more modern club and move away from number 10 football. And I think Pepe is key to that, absolutely key. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I got to tell you, I, I just don't see Pepe as struggling particularly. I mean, I get that he's not, you know, scoring the number of goals and getting the number of assists we'd like. He hasn't played much. He's been in a team that struggles to progress the ball. He's been picking it up. I mean, there were times under Emery where he was picking it up in his defensive third and trying to beat three guys and get it up the pitch. We saw what he can do on the counterattack against Liverpool a little bit. He was unlucky with some finishing and some final balls. All right, look, the final ball hasn't always been there, but the willingness to try to give it or to try to take the shot is there. It, it paid off in this game. He's got a goal and an assist. And I think, you know, he has the two goals from the free kicks that beat, beat Vittoria. Um, you know, his goal against Villa. I just don't think it's been that bad for a guy who hasn't been getting to play from the start enough. I think players like him in that Alexis Sanchez mode who are high-touch, high-contribution, counting-stat kind of players need a lot of involvement. That's how they get their comfort, and that's how they get their, you know, they get their um, their sort of rangefinder set, so to speak. So I expect more good things from him. And as we move off of the conversation about the goals, one thing I just want to ask you quickly, and then we'll sort of backtrack and talk lineup, and we'll talk maybe some of the the down parts of the game, the first half of the game. But Paul, I mean, after the third goal goes in and the game is won, for you, was the profound sense one of um, was a profound sense one of sort of uh, disappointment about where the season is currently, or was it just sort of the pure jubilation of, of getting back and winning ways? Uh, definitely. I think I led with the jubilation and f- followed with the what could have been. No, yeah. um, look, the celebrations after the gold, I think, told you so much. And then the celebration at the end of the game, um, you, you had to feel Freddie. good for Freddie, right? I mean, like, I don't care if you yeah. think Freddie's going to be our manager, but you're a heartless bastard of seeing, you know, the way he smiled and hugged every player after the game and his his embrace with Pepe. It was just, it felt like a very Arsenal moment, a very happy Arsenal moment. Yeah, it seemed like this was a big day. Now, unfortunately, we play City next. Well, we don't. We have the Europa, but in the Premier League, we play City next, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but, hey, who knows? Um, but I think this was... This we could look back on this one and think this was a pretty significant day um, for our season beyond. You know, we we may perk up, we may do something in the Europa League. Who knows? Maybe somebody ahead of us will start to screw up in the Premier League. There is a lot of time left, and we march. If we fix the midfield, if Torreira does something for us in in midfield and becomes an anchor there, um, we have an attack we saw in this game. Um, so there's there's the possibility. Hope isn't totally dead, but uh, you saw in the celebrate. It's it's just important to enjoy a bit of football and to enjoy some players and to enjoy some performances. And Torreira, Pepe, and Martinelli all gave us and and Ozil, Oziling. You know, as you say, he was unpickable in the first half and undroppable in the second half. And undroppable uh, trumps unpickable. So yeah. Um, I, it, it, to enjoy watching certain players playing football again for Arsenal, it's been a while, so I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to admit, right, like, going into the game, I was like, when we win next, and I know I said this, but I thought that there was going to be a bit of a sadness because I think it would really be a reminder of how badly the season has fallen away and what could have been. But 
seeing what it meant to Aubameyang and what it meant to Pepe and what it meant to Freddie and like the celebrations and, you know, his hug with every player after the game. And they seemed genuinely happy for him and genuinely thrilled for him and that they had worked hard for this. And it was hard not to be happy about it. I mean, at the end of the day, not every season is going to be a title winning or even a top four winning season. And at Arsenal, I worry that maybe there's going to be a lot more seasons where we do have to suffer through hard times. So like, enjoy winning football games. At the end of the day, you turn on the game or you show up at the stadium and you hope your team wins. And if they do, be happy. You know what I mean? Like, not everything has to be Machiavellian and about the destination. Like, it can be about the journey. And, like, winning a football game is fun. We scored three goals. It, you know, as I said in the open, you know, easy as one, two, three. Like, our, our three forwards all scored. And that's beautiful. So I do want to talk about the lineup, the balance of playing with those three forwards, if that's the way forward, and some of the struggles we had in the first half and why that might have happened. Um... And save that for the back because I think celebrating a win is important and it is it is a great thing. Uh, but to your point, Paul, I think it, it kind of sucks that it comes at the end of this run of 12 relatively easy games and now we go into a very hairy period of the fixtures, including um, Manchester City, our next league game at the weekend. So let's do this. Let's take a break so that you can get stocked up on sexy underwear. I mean, look, if you're in a relationship, there's no better way to make that relationship an exciting place than giving the gift of beautiful lingerie. I mean, that's it. That's what it boils down to. And uh, you don't want to go through the mall or the store and have to buy it yourself. Just click. They'll take care of you. That's it. That's what the enclosed does. So we're going to tell you all about that. We're going to take a break. You're going to hear about the enclosed. Um, Look, if you don't want to hear about the enclosed anymore or any of this stuff, the athletic, the enclosed, any of it, sign up for Patreon and then you get the ad-free episodes. So that's another bonus. All right, look, enough of that. We'll take a break. We'll talk about uh, sexy underwear. Then we'll come back and talk lineup and more after this. Stay with us. All right, it's time to tell you about our friends at The Enclosed. That's right, Enclosed Lingerie is back, and we are thrilled to have them back for the holiday season because it's just in time for you to get something for your partner. Forget the flowers and the sweaters or something like that, especially a gift certificate. Now you can get them high-end luxury lingerie from The Enclosed. You don't have to wander through a mall awkwardly. You don't have to worry about the fit or the quality because it's always going to be backed by a perfect fit guarantee. And we can get $35 off your multi-month purchase just by using Arsenal at checkout. Just go to enclosed.gifts. That's easy enough. Enclosed.gifts. Be a holiday hero. Get her what she wants. It's something that's great for the relationship. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be high-end and fit perfectly every time. And then every month, you can look forward to that thing that is going to bring you closer together with that special person. So, enclosed.gifts is the site. Arsenal is the checkout code. Go there now to save $35 off any monthly, multi-month purchase. Enclosed.gifts. Do it now. All right, we're back. And now that that's sorted out, let's talk about the lineup. Look, Clive, we have over-scrutinized lineups this season. And the fact of the matter is that, like, you can get the lineup totally wrong. And if you have good players and good tactics, you can still win games. And you get the lineup totally right. And if you have players that are mutinous and want you out and the tactics are bad, you can still lose games. I liked this lineup. I mean, bar the Shaka decision, which I would have preferred Ganduzi, and we'll talk about Shaka in a moment. I thought that the balance of the front three looked good. I think it's what everybody wanted. Pepe from the start, Oba through the middle, and and someone, in this case Martinelli, on the left. It was a shame that Bellerin pulled up with the hamstring from the start and that we lost Tierney to the, the arm injury, I guess, shoulder? Shoulder or elbow, something like that? Uh, shoulder, I guess. Shoulder. So, so yeah. I mean, that's a shame, but... Leaving to one side just for a moment the way this lineup played, we'll come back to that. Were you as excited to sort of see a lineup that looked a little bit more balanced and a little more closer to what we would have probably deemed common sense, especially up front? What it tells me is that Freddie's really good at understanding problems. 
And um, I think, you know, I think he's understood that David Luiz, good player, but drops too deep. Got, got to take him out. Right? So, David Luiz, decorated career, international career, you know, PSG career, Chelsea career. This is no scrub of a player, but I'm afraid at the moment he's completely ripped our structure apart by how he plays in defence. Callum Chambers, not as decorated a player. Been at Arsenal since 2014. We debate him. Well, I debate him. I debate his quality, but he understands. Well, he's playing. He was our best defender on the day, put that way. And um, I thought he played the role well, knew when to drop off, knew when to hold his line, showed for the ball really well, took over 100 passes. For me, I thought he was the leader of the defence. I thought he did really well. So that was that was good. Um, <clears throat> Socrates, he's, he's, he's okay. He's he's terrible on the ball. He's losing confidence by the second. I know Bellerin uh, was injured, but he's not ready, in my opinion. He's He's lacking... He's lacking body power. He's lacking weight. He hasn't got that back yet. He's lost muscle. He's not back. He's he's a way off. We won't see the best of him until February next year, at the earliest. So we all want to see Bellerin and Tierney, but neither of them are ready. They, and it's obvious that they're carrying things. The Tierney shoulder injury news came from Ornstein on the very morning. That sort of made us all maybe understand why he wasn't playing or didn't go with Scotland a couple of international squads. The moment he came out in print, it was the moment his shoulder pops out. It was unreal, wasn't it? None of us knew about it, and then suddenly it happened. So, but but let's, this is serious. Connor's done really well the last couple of games. At the moment, the two fullbacks that we played are in better shape. They're in better shape. They're ready to play. And we can make the Niles a little bit of a, a bit of a guess because, you know, he looks at a nervous kitten at the start of the game. But by the end of the game, he looked like a right back again, right? So, so that's not maybe there was a fluke there, but maybe it worked out in our advantage in the end. I think um, in the midfield, I, I will say, and I am not someone that just jumps on this player. I see his value, is I see leadership value. The fact that the other players giving the ball a lot tells me something about him. But I was really disappointed in Shaka's performance in this game. I thought he was really not doing what he should be doing, which is leading. You know, being brave, playing passes, forward passes, not playing Carroll's passes, but really playing progressive passes that allowed us to build play. I felt he shied away from that. And yes, you make fouls. Yes, you do see things around the box. But you've always been a brave passer and a good range of passer and a, and a sometimes accurate passer and a heavy-weighted passer. You didn't do it. You know, you just, you hid and you didn't do it. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that was a disappointment. That, that to me was a performance where I'm thinking, I've got to do something with you. you 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 got to go. I thought you, you played like somebody who was in departure lounge. Definitely. Torreira did really well. Pleased to see him. And Ozil was, um, he went with the team. When the team was crap, he was crap. When the team was good, he was good. We got quite a few of those. I call them good time players. Right, so who are the ones that are going to stand up when the team is not so good? And I will put Chambers, Torreira, eventually Maitland-Niles, but, but I may be slightly biased there because I like the player. Um, but they were the ones for me that stood out, and Martinelli, obviously. They were the ones that said from the first minute, I'm going to try and play, I'm not scared to play. Whereas the others were absolutely wrapped in their own fear and lack of confidence. And of course, they all broke out at the same time. So I didn't I mind the shape. I have queries about that third midfielder. 
about the Ozil position. But when Ozil plays well, there's no query. But if I look at if I look into the squad and I look back at that number ten position or that third three eight, I'm thinking maybe it's time for Shaka to come out. Grandizzi comes in. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm being, I'm being <laughs> honest. He's right, so bad. We, come on. He is, he's got to go. Yeah, he has got to go. But yeah, sometimes we, we miss him as well. Strange as that may be, that that may be an issue in itself. But sometimes when he's not there, we miss him. You know. So uh, can, when can I just make one play... point on on that, just real quick? I am not going to sit here and pretend that the Granitschak has never been any good at anything and is useless because that that is hyperbole. And while I like to lean into hyperbole at times, it is hyperbole. I thought he was terrible in this game, but that's another story. But what I will say, Clive, is if you have a player who is not getting it done regularly and holds your team back and you have another player in his position who is 20 years old and is the future at some point you say i'm just going to give the role to the guy who's our future not the guy who's our past yeah we all agree that really and i think but there were times when quinn Doozy's played a lot of minutes this season and he started to look a little bit leggy and he's and he's been taken out I bet you he's going to want to come in and play really well from now on. Sometimes you just need a break. Yeah, you that's all right. That's and I, I kind of get the feeling, Clive, uh, I'd like to check it with you, but in a way, Gendouzi's been trying to do too much the last few games. Apart from looking tired, he's also like held onto the ball. He's over dribbled. He's over whatever. And the, the thing about the Chaka Torreira uh, partnership, uh, he may not have had a brilliant game, but he, he kind of holds his position and gives. Terrera a little bit of a platform to do a bit of Cazorla stuff uh, out of the midfield. And you don't get that with, you know, it's not that it can't work with Genduzzi, but but there's too much going on at the moment, I think, for Freddie. He needed a bit of stability in midfield. And Ganduzi's just he's doing too much uh, he, right he now. He kind of needs to be Shaka. settled down. I mean, come on, guys. Like, let's well, not let's not be revisionist. So, like, I'm not trying to kill the guy, but like he gave the ball away in terrible places on multiple times. You know, they almost got a goal well, off. Positionally, of, positionally is where uh, I'm coming at. So yeah, we're talking okay, talk about ahead, team selection. We talk about team selection, aren't we? And you can see what Freddie's doing, right? When you pick that midfield three, you're picking a three. You're not picking a one. Then you're saying, we all, we all, many that's of us fair, think that's that, a fair point, yeah. Many, many of us think that um, Gwen Doozy is going to, it's the future. We all agree with you. Everything you said there is absolutely word perfect. But Gwen Doozy, Ozil, and Terreira, I want to see how many games that three have won. Right? So, well, nobody's won any games. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly what Paul says, right? What he's trying to do is if I'm, if I'm investing in Ozil, I know he's not great on the, on the comeback. But you know what? I've got to, I've got to compensate for him. But is it Gwendozy who who basically cares so much about this team and the midfield area that he tries to cover every blade of grass, or do I pick somebody who's going to stand in his hole? And and he went with the the more static guy, right? So so it's either or. You got to always decide when you select a team. Who am I investing in today? If Erzul plays, you've got to compensate for him. Just not pretend what the guy can't, can do. He can't do it. There are periods in that game where I felt we had 10 men. But when we were on top, I felt, I felt it looked like we had 13 men. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And that's how good he is, you know? So you have to decide who you're going to invest in. You can't just pick a Harlem Globetrotter team. You have to get the balance right. And I was just going to move on to the fact, you know, if we're going to move away from number 10 football, I'm projecting forward. If a player potentially can do that eight role in a year's time in, in, in Smith Row. Is exactly what we need, an eight that can carry, yep. that stays in there, works two ways, but can carry out of his spot. Or is it going to be Willock on, an, on another day? 
I mean, Ceballos so can, can do a little of that. Do, do, do you think that, and Ceballos is not the future, I get it, but, but you don't think Ganduzi, I mean, the reason I thought he would have been helpful here, and let, just give me one one bit of room here to yeah, just mate, explain, because ahead. I don't want people to think I'm just killing Shaka because I don't like the guy. Look, the high-profile things he did wrong are clear. He played that insane head-down pass across the midfield that got easily taken away and then turned into a corner where he didn't put his head in, turned his back. He did the same thing for their goal. But, like, those are the the big high-profile things. The thing that bothered me, Clive, is where I think our first half really was struggling was when you drop off Shaka, he won't stride out. And Torreira did some of that for him in the second half, and it made all the difference. You saw the difference it made on the first goal. Spun past a man and strided out. I think Ganduzi can do that. I think the reason Shaka is wrong for us, especially against these smaller teams where we've struggled, is if you if you... We know if you press him, he's going to lose the ball a lot. But if you don't press him, yes, he can sometimes play those sort of Hollywood diagonals. But Clive, if he won't stride out, Mesut Ozil, I agree. He was Tom kind of dis- <laughs> he can't. But look, Mesut Ozil was kind of a disgrace in the first half. I don't, I don't deny that. But in the second half, when Torreira got more involved and took more responsibility for progressing it, like two of those goals come from Ozil in that half space between the lines and the half space, and and Torreira giving him the ball. There really wasn't a lot of that in the first half, and I think it's because Shaq is just he he doesn't cover any ground. I mean, am I am I explaining myself effectively? Probably not, but you want to build on that? You absolutely are. There was no there was no collectivity, was there? No, there was no exactly. collectivity. Yes. And there was no no one making angles to receive the ball. People were standing next to each other, marking each other, and then it's going back to Chambers, hence why you had four thousand passes, right? So Chambers and Socrates, I, I haven't seen a pass map yet, but I'll tell you what, that's gonna be a thick line, isn't it? It's mm. gotta be, right? So um and so that there was a lack of bravery. Let's let's call it what it is, right? For me, we've lost the bravery to progress the ball when we lack confidence. And when we lack, when we had confidence, we progressed the ball beautifully. The start of the year, we sold two players or moved two players on in the Wobi and Mkhitaryan, who, who for me specialize in build-up. They get the ball in those spaces, they turn, and they then set the forwards away. So we were relying on Pepe, who was good and then bad in the next two seconds, and then Ozil, who was bad. And so we we didn't even have a pass to play forward. We didn't progress. They let us, they wanted to get into those areas, nick it and then transition on us. So for me, Arsenal have to work on build-up. We have to be more secure in those roles, in those half spaces. We have to be better because that is what's going to set this team away. Because that's more accurate, we will not get transitioned on. And then we'll be in areas where we want to be. And we're quite good around the box, as we saw as we saw last night. We are quite good around the box if we progress the ball accurately. We are relying on Pepe, we are relying on Ozil to do that, and we're relying on Shaka to fizz those balls in accurately. We, what we found was Shaka did not do his job. Torreira took over that job, and we relied on a young kid to hold the ball, get us going before the rest of the team followed. So the, the progression point for Freddie is... How can I improve the builder? How can I be more secure to make us less vulnerable to transitions? Who's going to stand up? If you get stolen, just make sure you get a foul. Buy a foul. Don't allow a transition to be to happen so easily. And I think that's the big change in Arsenal. I know we can all see defensive issues. We can all see the midfield issues. But the reason why we see them so clearly is because we don't secure the ball in the half spaces as we're building up play as well as we did last season. Mm. And look, I, so... <sighs> You know what, Paul? Let, let's talk about it this way because I'm getting, you know, I realize I'm I'm 
kind of going after Shaka. And I don't, this is not, I hate the guy, yada, yada. I, I thought he had a bad game. I do. I think that he was uh, poor in the buildup in the first half, struggled to really put them under pressure. And, and he had some of the giveaways that are just really head-scratching and really frustrating. And then, of course, for the first goal, he's not particularly brave. I, don't, I think there was a lot of poor defending on the first goal. But there's that, the one where he gave it away, as I mentioned, where he plays that bizarre across-the-pitch ball with his head down that gets easily picked off. He he gives away, it leads to a corner where he doesn't jump. He doesn't put his head in and jump. He just turns his back. But putting all that to one side, Paul, I actually think the first half is less bad than people think for an important reason. We got mm-hmm. outshot in this game. And you're going to say, okay, more of the same, same as it's been. But here's the difference. We didn't get outshot 22 to 12 or 31 to 14. We got outshot 11 to 10. Now, yeah, we should have more than 10 shots, but conceding 11 shots isn't bad. Their XG was very low. They didn't really create a lot. The first half, you know, under Emery, when we were bad, we got dominated. The bad part of the first half for me, Paul, is sterile domination. Sterile domination is better than getting dominated. So while I'm very frustrated with how the first half went, is it fair to characterize it a little differently because we dominated the game, we just didn't do anything with the possession we had? Yeah, I think it was almost like this is new territory to us. It's it's uh, revisiting Arsenal of previous times, but it's kind of the first time we've been in the game in a fairly balanced way. Uh, but we still had the old funk, and it took us till the second half to say, you know what, we should actually do something with this. We should move. The- Confidence grew a little bit, or maybe just the urgency drove the the, the more more aggressive play, and we started moving the ball more quickly, and it started to spark a little bit. Um, uh, and you know, on the Chaka debate, I, I wouldn't argue for a second with your analysis that he did a lot wrong and made a lot of mistakes. It's just He's more stable in his positioning. And I think Freddie wanted a more settled midfield with a little bit of experience. And it's kind of, it's just a moment in time. Ganduzi at the moment is trying to do too much. Freddie doesn't know what he's going to get with him. That's totally fair. It, can, can I ask it, you a question, though, in response to that before yeah. we move on to another point? Because I, I want to stay focused on that. So I'm not interrupt. I am interrupting. I know that's what I'm technically doing, but it's to, to further uh, your point. Elucidate. Elucidate. There you go. Um, If Torreira's on the pitch, can't, uh, in theory, isn't Torreira the guy who provides the the positional stability so that his partner can range and rove and carry and probe? And and that's why I think having Shaka and Torreira, like the one thing we know about Torreira, he actually did some really good progressive passing in this game and moving the ball forward in the second half, but that's not principally what you want his responsibility to be. So, like, if you put a, a, a Ganduzi in there, and let him range and rove and pass and probe and, and be progressive, Torreira can really be the the guy who keeps it ticking over and stays the positionally gaps sound. are too big okay. at the moment. They don't ha- It doesn't have to be that way, but they're too big. I think he wanted two central midfielders that would stay within 10 or 15 yards of each other. Um, and it, it's not the first time Chak and Torreira have formed a successful uh, central midfield partnership. Um uh, early on, we thought we had the answer when those two played together. And uh, not that this was a great performance as a pairing or from Chaka, but it provided some kind of base for stability that which we took advantage of in the second half. We moved it nicely. And, you know, here's Torreira used in a much more progressive way, but from starting from deep. And if you look at each of the goals, 
you know, Chaka hangs back while Torreira goes and makes that more progressive pass. And they can just as a manager, you're looking, you want some kind of a base, some kind of stability to work out what you're going to get. Ganduzi is a superb player, but he's just doing too much. And as a manager, um, you got you got Torreira, who at the moment is not a fixed point in the team positionally. He's still probably moving too much for you. Uh, you don't want to throw Ganduzi on top of that, who's who's uh, kind of the joker in midfield at the moment, moving all over the place. And I think he, for now, I think it's a moment in time he wants some level of stability. If I if I'm reading the tea leaves right, he's at least come up with the right answer that. Maybe Torreira is the first name on the sheet, and it's a question of today who's the best partner for him. And I think against West Ham, the best partner might have been Chaka till he gets Ganduzi settled down, stops him traveling all over the pitch, and keeps it within a, a, a narrower radius while we find our feet and get some level of control across the team. And I yep. think the other thing in terms of lineup, we, we've hammered Socrates by implication here a little bit. You know, playing Chambers, I agree with um, Clive's point on Luis in terms of his vulnerability uh, when 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 the game's getting stretched or when we're playing a high line, etc. He doesn't like it. He wants to drop back. So you put in Chambers, uh, you push Socrates a, a, across, and he's not a great he's not great on the ball, and he's not a great passer, but that doesn't help him any play, playing from the left. So I don't think we should be. Uh, I guess I'm not as down on Socrates. I don't think I think he had a horrible uh, game in terms of possession on the ball, etc. But it, it is him who loses out a little bit. It'll be mm. interesting to see against City whether the fact that we're likely to have a lot less possession means uh, it's Luis time again. Experience will be sitting a little deeper. Socrates will go back to the right. And that may be our pairing again. But as we were talking, we started off talking about lineups here. I do think. There is some interesting choices to be made at centre-back for the City game. I think it's deck chairs on the Titanic at centre-back, unfortunately. So I think whoever's back there, we're going to wind up wishing it was someone else back there. Um, My only point to you, Paul, about the positional security thing is if you're picking Shaka because he's more positionally disciplined than than Genduzi, and fair enough, then the player you're picking because he gives you a little more structure and positional stability can't also be a guy who kills you twice a game giving away goals by giving the ball away cheaply in your own defensive third. You know what I mean? Like, like whatever benefit you gain I, I, from his I, positional I, I security. I do see that. Right. You, you, you I, get what I I'm just saying. think it's, it's a, a small point. Yeah, right? yeah. It's a moment in time, though. If this were in a few weeks' time, he just wanted something he could hang his hat on, sure, and that's a point. little bit of stability, because he's decided, I could be wrong here, Torreira's the answer. Who do I put beside him? for at least him to shine. And I think he decided Chaka's a better bet right for this game than Ganduzi, who's just doing too much. Uh, I, I will also say this. I, I think Ganduzi got a little too much heat for his Norwich performance. And when Clive and I watched it back for the Patreon rewatches, like, it was actually it was actually a, a lot more encouraging than I I think that's I fair, but I see. have been saying for a while Ganduzi's doing just too bloody much. That's fair. It's just a, ba- it's just a balance discussion. It's not a player yeah. discussion. It's about yeah, yeah. balance. You know, if we were to play three in, then we'd have a different balance that maybe allows Ganduzi to be... Well, we have to play three in against City, right? right? We, we can't we can't afford Ozil against City, so we'll see three in, right? Yeah, I, I think so, but 
we'll see. You know, there seems to be a bit of a bond between Ozil and, and Bergen. I, you know, for all my criticism of Ozil in the first half, and there's a, there's a much deeper discussion to have about that whole situation with Ozil and the contract and et cetera, et cetera. But he showed some real leadership towards the end of that game. Really did, you know. And and it's interesting. You see him talking to a manager. There seems to be some sort of technical bond between those two. So, um Let's see what happens. You know, he's he's getting uh, older. He's growing up. Obama Yang seem to be finding each other and enjoying playing together for maybe the so, first time in a while. Yeah, I have you know I have issues about that player, but he's our player, so I try to find ways to 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 like it. But um, but yeah, I just I'm looking at this. A new manager, he has to show up. He obviously did not really show up for the old manager. There are issues there ongoing. He has to show up. Right, so it's interesting to see how he develops himself and, and what he does for the team and how he develops his role. He's 30 years of age now. He can't do the stuff he's doing at Werder Bremen and Real Madrid any longer. What are you going to do? How are you going to develop the later years of your career to make yourself valuable to any team? You're going to have to do certain jobs that you don't like doing. Right, so you're going to have to. You cannot stay in a, a top elite environment and only do what you like to do. Once he realizes that, it'll be interesting to see what how what his value is to the to the team and if he can keep holding his value to the team. Yeah. But I have to say, last third, I thought he did very well. Yeah, I mean, the problem with this game, right, is if you only saw the second half, you would have a very different view of a lot of the players <laughs> than the first half. And again, the problem first half for me wasn't that we got dominated. We didn't. We dominated the game. We just didn't go anywhere with it. And I think that that has been an issue for us this season is how to progress the ball. Um you know, and maybe some of it is the weakness of the of the fullbacks again. I mean, you look at the teams that are really, really good, and they don't just play it right through the middle of you. They go down the the wings. I mean, the best team in England has the best fullbacks in England, and that's not a coincidence at this point in time. I don't think. Um, let's let's have a word before you have to go, Clyde. Before we all have to go from Aitlin Niles, because this is such a weird situation. A guy who basically said, "I'm a celebrity, get me out of here," except he said, "I'm not a fullback, get me out of here," and talked himself right out, out of being in the team. And they touched on it on Did the Arscast. Did we read too much into that, though? Yeah, maybe, Paul. But it, I, I will say this. If he wasn't saying, I don't want to play fullback, he was certainly saying, I'm not being given a chance at my natural position. And, you know, or was he else. saying, I'm getting hammered for being a full, for Well, here's what he said. A, His exact quote was basically, and I'm not yet. everybody else is getting to play in their natural position, and I'll get my time, too. So, I mean, the most charitable, most charitable reading of it is, Judge me when you see me in my natural position. And the least charitable is I don't want to play this position. But either way, he's not going to play as a wide forward in this team. That that route to playing time is not there. So is this a player who can be a fullback for us or not? Because Chambers can't. He can try, but he can't. Bellerin will not be fit regularly for a while. I thought he was okay in this game, especially in the second half he grew into it. So is this a guy who's got a, an opportunity to help us at this position? And do you think he will want to do that? I, I think he needs to. I think someone needs to walk up to him and say, hello, young man, how would you like to play right back for Arsenal Football Club? Because so I, I do wonder when players say, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. I know they live in a bubble, but crikey, wake up. You know, not many kids get come from academies and get right into the first team at, uh, at a top 10, top 15 European club. It just doesn't happen, right? So... So you need to wake up and realize what you've achieved and what you can achieve and how you need to maximize your career. 
Now he can probably he's probably a four four two right winger. That's his best position, or right side of a diamond. That's probably where he would like to play. So you're playing right back in a top team. Right back is almost like right side of a diamond. It doesn't make much difference. You're, you're seven yards further out. Get on with it. You've got all the skill sets to do it. I thought his combination play, Pepe, has always been pretty good. And I think they they almost look like twins around down there. They're both really slim athletes that really stride out, that really move well. And it looks good to me when I see those two playing together. It looks really good. I like their combinations. They're a little bit loose. They're both a bit flicky. They're not a big, they're not very secure. They try coy flicks and no no look touches and you think, bloody hell, do you know we're like it's it's only one all? Do you know what I mean? Or we'll it's like it's a bit scary, right? But I, there was a there's a moment in this game, the goalkeeper, after we'd scored, so Mate and Niles had been progressively getting better. The goalkeeper's done a seventy yard kick straight into the right back slot. Mate and Niles just drags it out of the sky, one touch, cushioned it down in front of him. Just like he just come out and woke up and picked up his toothbrush. Honestly, it was a joke. And that's his level. He is a highly skilled footballer that has mentality issues. I think he Paul's absolutely right. I think he struggled with the stick he was getting. He didn't like getting stick for being something that he didn't feel he was. He needs a chat to say, by the way, you can be anything you want if you focus on doing the job. He he's needs Papa Martinelli to take him on as a project, I think. <laughs> yeah. He's got all the tools you need, right? He really has got all the tools you need. He needs to focus on his mentality, grow up a little bit, because you you need to have that. So Paul's absolutely right. Martinelli's got the mentality that I wish Maitland-Niles had. Maitland-Niles has got the physical ability, the technical ability. He can pass up both feet. He's super sharp. Goes both ways. I mean, he's got a lot, but he is just a little bit emotionally immature mentally. And I think that's his improvement. That's his development. And if he gets that right, he's got a great chance having a great career at the club. If he doesn't, he'll end up playing for Birmingham City. Hey, Ainsley, we've two positions available at Arsenal. One pays fifty to to $100,000 a week and one pays about 20000 Would you like to be a fullback? Yeah, to be fair, I, I don't think they're paying them in dollars, but <laughs> they kind of they yeah. want. Um, no, I take your yeah. point. Look, I think th- those, are, those are all good points. Uh, yeah, if they're paying Bitcoin, sign me up. Um, Clive, you got to run, don't you? I do, I do. Okay. I, I, I'm glad I had a chance to talk about Maitland-Niles because I'm a big fan. I know. And I want him to succeed. <laughs> I, know. I want him to succeed. I he just wants to clarify, Elliot, are we going to talk about Maitland-Niles or not? Then he'll tell you whether he's got time. <laughs> Look, uh, I, I just think he's just some... I really want him to succeed. I don't want to see another academy kid like... You know, I know we could got made good money for me, Wobie, but that sort of bothered me, you know, that sell. I, I, it did bother me. I like to give them guys a little bit longer, even though we all he sort of doubt he's going to make... Even though we all sort of doubt he's going to make the very top level, I'd like to see others go before one of the academy kids go. That's just my personal opinion. I'm not saying everyone's got to agree with me. I want to see Mount and Niles make it. I, I want to see him do more to make more people trust him because he has the ability. It's all about how he applies it. Yeah, and I, I definitely think that if he has a future at Arsenal at least in the near term, it's at that position. So we'll have to see. Look, it was wonderful to win a game. It was wonderful to get our front line scoring. I think Freddie has to stick with this front line or at least 
the idea of playing Oba up front with wingers on either side. I think I think it's clear from the way he celebrated with Pepe and, and the look on Pepe's face and just the, the relief everybody had and the joy. I think Pepe's going to get a run in the side now. And I wouldn't be surprised if he makes people who doubted him look pretty silly over the next few weeks. So we'll see. The next hurdle, of course, for Freddie is rotate all these guys out for standard. We don't need to play him. We can't afford to get embarrassed by City. So hopefully he just... Gives everybody a day off against Standard, and we can focus on trying to keep the positivity going against City one way or another. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, Paul. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review right now. See things about us in the comments. Write him about Tim. He's so busy with the women's game. What do they have going on? Just a title race? <laughs> anyway, uh, look, we've got the In the Spotlight uh, Martinelli, I know we didn't go as deep on him as we probably could have. Maybe we'll save that for the post-Liege pod, but there's a hole in the spotlight on Martinelli over on Patreon, and we, we really do appreciate you. If you want Clive to sing the Christmas carol, just go to uh, theathletic.com forward slash Clive P-A-F-C, sign up, and then uh, he'll have to sing. So that's what we're all rooting for. I think it's fair to say everybody wants that. In any event, we love you. Thanks for hanging with us through the losses. We appreciate you being here through the wins, and whatever happens on the pitch, uh, we're all in it together. We love each other, and we, we have each other, and that's what makes Arsenal special. So we will uh, leave it there and talk to you after Arsenal 10. Standard Hill. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.